This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, August 26, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include some news and observations about new iCloud services and features coming to Apple's forthcoming operating system updates. Plus, Josh and Kirk will discuss the security and privacy changes they've made over the 200-episode history of the podcast. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well, Kirk. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's been two weeks that we haven't seen each other. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We actually pre-recorded last week's episode, so... Yeah, it's been two weeks. How was your time off? It wasn't that great. The weather here was terrible. For some reason in the UK, we have like spring weather in August. So I had been planning to sit in my garden under the gazebo with drinks with little umbrellas. And I was only able to do that a couple of times because the weather was so bad. Oh, But I had a week of relaxing doing things. Oh, well, that's good. So we're back and we've got some news and we were discussing before the show and we think that in about two weeks we'll have the final release candidates for iOS 15 and iPadOS 15. Last year, Apple put these out on the 9th of September and that was what, two days after Labor Day or a day after Labor Day? And this year it's probably going to be the same week. So not next week, but in the following week's podcast, you know what's going to happen. We're going to be recording on Wednesday afternoon. And just when we finish, they're going to release the final beta for iPadOS and iOS. Yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> so if, uh, of course, we don't know exactly when these operating systems are coming. Apple is always very vague about this, and they just say, in the fall. So, I mean, that could be really any time through, I think, doesn't fall go through like early December or something like that? Yeah, it goes to December 20th. Oh, yeah. And now Apple never actually waits until December to release their operating systems. It's usually kind of September, October time frame. So that's that's what we're expecting. Probably within the next couple of weeks, we'll know a little bit more. The latest rumors suggest that Apple's going to have two events in September. And that would make sense, of course. One to talk about the new iPhone and iPad, perhaps, and iOS and iPadOS. And another to talk about new Macs. We expect a new MacBook Pro, probably a 16-inch, and probably a 30-inch iMac. So we're probably going to see a lot of new stuff and all the new operating systems in a short period of time in the month of September. We'll be really busy, won't we? Yeah, and, and some are saying that the the new Macs that are coming out are going to have a newer version of the Apple Silicon processor because we've just had M1 to date. And so a lot of people are thinking this is going to be M1X or M2 or whatever they're going to end up calling it. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, so we've got a little bit of news this week. We talked last week about Apple's new feature to scan for child sexual abuse material. Some more information has come out about that. It's actually a lot of information. We're not going to go into too many details until anything's formalized. But Apple already does scan iCloud email for this. So we'll link to an article on 9to5Mac with a couple of quotes from Apple documents talking about how they scan for illegal images. I don't think Apple really wants to come out and say it because because did you ever think that Apple was scanning your email? I mean, let's face it, if you have a Gmail account, you know they're scanning everything, right? And you kind of trust Apple to not do that. But if Apple's scanning for illegal things, it's very different than scanning in order to, to serve ads to you. 
Right, right. There's a very different purpose here, obviously. But yeah, it wasn't something that was really obvious to Apple email users. So if you if you have an iCloud email account, you may not have known that Apple actually did already use image matching technology to help find and report child exploitation. Um, that's uh, actually an exact quote. Uh, Apple uses image matching technology to help find and report child exploitation from an archived version of a page on apple.com where they talk about child safety. Um, They used to actually have a little bit more specifics about how this is used in iCloud mail. And now it's not quite as clear anymore. So there may be (laughs) additional updates coming to Apple's website now that they're kind of being called out on this. Uh, but yeah, apparently Apple has already been using similar technologies with iCloud Mail. And as we've discussed recently, if your email is not encrypted, then it can be scanned. And I'll link in the show notes to an article where I looked at a few secure email providers if you want to know more. One thing I wonder, Josh, if you were to take a bunch of images and make them a zip archive, would Apple still be able to scan them? It wouldn't be hard for them to, on a server, decompress the archive and scan the images, right? Right, right. And unless you're doing something like, um, you know, password protecting the archive or something like that. Um, But as we talked about last week, we want to make clear that we don't support any sort of like child exploitation and abuse. But when we're talking about how Apple is using technologies like this, it's interesting to think about how other ways that, that those technologies could potentially be used. And that's really what we're talking about here. So if, for example, if you are a, uh, a person who's got this brilliant idea for a startup and you want to communicate with somebody else, you guys both happen to be using the iCloud email platform, you don't want Apple to be able to see what's in the contents of your mail, right? Because they might take that idea and use it for themselves. Now, Apple's probably not doing anything like that. This is uh, what, what sounds like was going on here was that Apple had already just been using an algorithm to identify very specifically child abuse material. And so that's quite a bit different thing from, you know, industrial or corporate espionage or whatever. Um, and, and like you say, also very different from what Gmail is widely known to do, where it scans your email to determine what ads to serve you. Um, yeah, so I would say f- from that perspective, I would assume really that all commercial email services, even free ones, are going to be doing some level of analysis of your email. Think about it this way. They're they're checking for spam. They're deciding whether to stick something in a spam folder. So on some level, there's you know that there are algorithms that are being used to process your email. And so it's not a surprise that uh, Apple would be scanning for this type of material as well. Okay, in other iCloud news, we've talked about this briefly in the past, Apple's iCloud Plus service, which will be available to anyone who has a paid iCloud account, even if you spend a buck a month to get 50 gigabytes to be able to back up your phone, you will get several interesting features. Private Relay is sort of like a VPN, but not exactly. And I'll link to an article on the Intego Mac security blog explaining why it's not. Hide My Email is a way of creating email addresses that 
get forwarded to your account that you can deactivate relatively easily. And one other feature is a custom email domain that you'll be able to add, you know, well, Intego.com, for example, if you wanted to, you could add a domain to your iCloud email account, which would come into your iCloud email account. You'd be able to send from it. This is currently available in beta, and it's actually, you don't need to be a developer to access this. You just go to beta.icloud.com and sign in with your Apple ID. You can add up to five custom domains, and you and your family members can each have three email addresses per domain. So... As, as I said, you know, you could put Intego.com up there. We, uh, Intego certainly has more email addresses than that. Now, the thing that worries me, so I have several domains and email addresses, and I do have an Apple iCloud address, and it's kind of like my backup email address. And I wouldn't want my main email address to be with the same server as my backup email address. For most people who only have one email address. If they do have a custom domain, this would be a good idea to use this. It's free email hosting. It's a lot more secure than many of the others. If you want email hosting, you're either going to get something with ads like Gmail, or you're going to pay $20 to $100 a year to get email hosting. So I think it's a good idea. If you do have multiple domains, stick one on iCloud and see what you can do with it. Right. It sounds actually kind of interesting. I, I like the idea that Apple is finally doing this. Um, you've been able to do similar things for a long time with Google Mail, of course. There are a lot of corporations that have their entire email infrastructure set up on Google. So it's when you log into, it's, it's essentially you're logging into Gmail. Um, it has the exact same interface, but you can use a custom domain. And so that's what Apple is, is now going to allow people to do with iCloud. It's a great thing, I, I think. Uh, it's certainly nice to have yet another alternative to Google <laughs> because, again, Apple, you would expect Apple to be a little bit more uh, concerned about maintaining your privacy if you're, if you're using Apple services rather than Google. And of course, this isn't entirely free. You do have to have a paid iCloud account. But as I said, most people pay a dollar a month to be able to back up their iPhones. Right, exactly. It, it, it doesn't cost very much. And, and as we've said before, I think you'd almost be crazy to not have an iCloud Plus subscription, right? Because of all the things that you get now or you will get once these new operating systems are out. Okay, one last story before the break. A California man accessed thousands of iCloud accounts in search of nude photos and videos. And this isn't really something, there's not a lot to say about it, but we, we did want to talk about this because this is a social engineering thing. This is not someone who hacked into accounts. He impersonated an Apple customer support representative, and he tricked them into providing him with their Apple ID login information. Now, I'd be a lot less worried about nude photos than, say, someone getting access to my email or something important. Because as we've said in the past, if someone has access to your email account, they can change your password on other websites. So in a way, it's fortunate that all this guy did was copy photos. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. Um, and by the way, it's it's worth noting exactly how this person went about trying to get into people's iCloud accounts. And of course, you could imagine all sorts of different scenarios where somebody could do this. This this sort of social engineering attack could be done over the phone. In this particular case, this person actually created a couple of Gmail addresses. Apple backup iCloud at gmail.com and uh, well, I assume it's the at gmail.com. Apple backup iCloud and backup agent iCloud. And they sent emails to their targets 
And and the targets believed that this was actually Apple contacting them from Gmail addresses. Yeah. Yeah. Apple doesn't contact people from Gmail addresses. It's pretty rare that they'll contact you by email for anything like this. Apple does have a number of ways of contacting people, but they don't they're not generally proactive. They're not going to go to you and say, oh, by the way, you need to do this. There's something wrong with your computer. They're going to wait for you to call them. Right. If you're very tech savvy, you will immediately recognize that this does, there's something that doesn't seem right about this if you get an email from these. But I think what the bad guys like this person are banking on is that there's going to be enough people who aren't as tech savvy, who don't quite know what to look for, and who might be a little bit more vulnerable to falling for these types of scams. This was a relatively simple thing. It wasn't that somebody found some special way to hack into iCloud accounts. It was literally just a social engineering attack. So make sure that if you know people who might be a little bit more susceptible to falling for these types of scams, that you let them know that this is not a way that Apple will ever contact you. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the security and privacy changes that we've made since we started this podcast four years ago. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so we recently celebrated our 200th episode, and Josh and I were trying to figure out what have we changed since we started this podcast almost four years ago. Now, we could have done this discussion at episode 208, which would have been the exact four years, but that takes us six weeks from now into October, just around the time there's new Apple stuff. So we're going to take 15 minutes and talk about what we've changed. Now, for my part, I've been working for Intego as a freelancer since 1997. So I've been working around security for a very long time. But it's only since we've been doing this podcast that it's been a day-to-day activity of focusing on security news regularly. A lot of the security basics that we keep repeating, backups, secure passwords, these are all things that I've been doing for 20 years, 25 years. But there are certainly some changes that I've made in these four years, and so have you. So what have you done differently? Okay, well, the first thing that I wanted to mention is that I've started using a VPN, and not just sometimes, but all the time. I pretty much leave the VPN running, and I think a lot of people assume that when you're using a VPN, one, that it only makes sense to use a VPN when you're out in the public, maybe when you're using public Wi-Fi or something like that. And a lot of people also assume that VPNs slow down your connection. 
Those are common myths about VPNs. I just leave it on all the time so that uh, when I visit websites, my own personal home IP address is not being logged everywhere I go all across the internet. I have the, uh, what appears to be the same IP address as lots and lots of other people who are also using the same VPN service and the same uh, VPN server that I'm using. Maybe it's not that big a deal if if my IP address is out there in a lot of places, but it also makes it more easy for companies to individually track somebody if they have the same IP address. So if you're sharing an IP address with lots of other people, it makes it more difficult for companies to be able to track you as you travel across the internet. Or they're going to mix everyone together with the same ad profile and they're going to see some very strange ads. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. But um, the other thing, too, is when you're when you're sending email, I've mentioned before that when you log into a service like Gmail, for example, they by default hide your IP address. But if you're using a mail client like a typical mail app like Apple's mail app, then your IP address usually does get sent as part of the headers of your email, it makes me a little uncomfortable to sort of give away that like bit of personal information. I'd rather just have that hidden. And so I can safely use a mail app and not have to worry about my IP address getting out there if I'm just using a VPN all the time. Okay, so two changes that I've made. One is that I've increased the length of my iOS passcode. I used to use the six-digit passcode, which Apple recommends. Apple used to recommend just a four-digit passcode, and if you go back far enough, they didn't even require you to set up a passcode on an iPhone or an iPad. But since we did an article in an episode a couple years ago about how someone got into someone else's iCloud account, I decided that six digits isn't enough, so I use longer. I won't say how long. It's not too long that I can't remember and that it takes too long to enter, but it's long enough that it's very hard to guess. Another thing that I've done, I used to use 14-digit random character passwords that my password manager would generate because I figured that's long enough, that's secure enough. But what I've started doing is using these sort of random three-word passwords that one password can create. And the reason for this is I remember when I... Last time I bought a new Kindle and I had to type my Amazon password and there were special characters and uppercase and lowercase and digits. And man, it was hard to, to get every character right. And I kept making mistakes in the Kindle keyboard, you know how it is. So I figured with these three word passwords, they're just as secure and they're so much easier to type when you do need to type them and you can't use autofill. One of the, the big advantages of longer passwords like that is length actually means a lot when it comes to making a secure password. And it, it's certainly a much, much easier thing to do to type in, uh, you know, words with the maybe the occasional capital or number or special character. Uh, it's, it's much easier to, to type in those passwords when you've got to use uh, the, another example is maybe you have a Roku or something. The Roku app is actually very similar to the Apple TV app, where you can type it in from your phone into your your uh, TV attached device. But I found that at least in the past, the Roku app wasn't very reliable when it came to certain things like pasting passwords from a password manager, and so having to retype them, ugh, it's really terrible. So I I can definitely understand that one. Okay, my next couple, these are both sort of related, so I'll mention them together. I'm now using Touch ID 
on my Mac. I finally have a Mac that has Touch ID, and I'm really excited about that because, hooray, I finally have, like, uh, well, theoretically, a way to do two-factor authentication. In practice, it's really just one or the other. You typically just use a password or Touch ID. But I'm glad to at least have that biometric option built into my Mac. Uh, that's a really nice thing. Now, the other thing is that I switched from Touch ID on my iPhone that I had four years ago to Face ID because recent models of iPhone have Face ID now. And I was thinking, this is sort of an odd thing, isn't it? Like, we're we're just starting to get Touch ID in Macs, and we're moving away from Touch ID and moving on to Face ID on the phone. And it, it's sort of odd that we don't have Face ID on our Macs yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting to try and figure out why. Now, I remember when we started talking about this a couple of years ago, we weren't sure that you could actually have Touch ID on a Mac with an external keyboard, right? You could have it on a laptop, which is where it started. And now we do have it on the iMac because of the link there has to be between the T2 security chip and the computer. So it does work for Touch ID on a separate keyboard. But would I want Face ID on my Mac? Would that mean that every time I sit down, my Mac's going to wake up? Or I sit down and I press a key and the Mac's going to wake up? And then how do you authenticate when... You go to pay Apple Pay or something on a website and you have to tap the Touch ID button. Would it just authenticate automatically? Because remember, on a phone or an iPad, you have to double press the power button to authenticate. So what would be the button you would press to do it in Face ID? To be honest, it seems to me that in a device like a phone or an iPad that you pick up to look at, that Face ID makes a lot of sense. In a device with a keyboard where you're going to put your fingers, Touch ID makes a lot of sense. I don't know which is more secure, one or the other. I think it's, it is interesting, as you say, that we've got these two different options. And there have been some rumors that Apple's been trying to work on getting a Touch ID sensor under the screen. So in the future, people will have the option for Touch ID or Face ID. On the, on the mobile devices. On a mobile device, yeah. Yeah. What I would like to see, I, I think Face ID could be done in such a way that you wouldn't have to worry too much about that that whole like app store problem right when when you have to say yes i I definitely want to to make this purchase or download this obviously it's kind of a problem if you're always facing the same direction toward your screen when you're talking about using a mac i think they could get around this in a, in a couple of different ways one is just add an extra click right it can do the face id recognition but then make you you know, click on a continue button or something like that. Um, it, it still is using then biometrics instead of a password. It still works. Um, you just maybe have to click and after it, it authenticates you. Um, and, and I do think that it would be really nice to be able to log into my Mac using Face ID. Uh, just the idea of walking up to your Mac, it's immediately unlocked. I think that would be really cool. But Josh, you can do that because you have an Apple Watch. <laughs> I know, but that's not See, that's as cool. another thing. For, for several years, the Apple Watch has been able to unlock a Mac. So basically, you set this up in the security and privacy preferences. When you press a key on the keyboard, boom, it unlocks. Here's why I like Face ID better. Because with your Apple Watch, it's proximity-based, right? And with the Face ID, if they were to have Face ID on the Mac, you would have to actually be directly in front of the screen, which I feel a little bit more comfortable with because I don't like the idea of maybe I'm in the next room and it's close enough that somebody else could walk by and get into my Mac. 
Yeah. So in, in my list of changes, I put Face ID in for the same reason as you. I really like Face ID on the phone, that I don't have to mess with Touch ID. I really like the fact that they came out with a way of making Face ID work if you're wearing a mask. So the phone detects that you have a mask. And if you have an Apple Watch that's authenticated with the phone, it'll automatically open the phone. And I find that really practical. One of the other Apple services that I'm using more and more is Apple Pay. Back back in the before, when I would go out to stores and do things, you remember that? You'd go to stores and buy things. I would very often use my watch or my phone to pay for things, and I find that really practical. But I use it even more and more when I buy on websites because, first of all, it's used a lot more. And second of all, you don't have to create an account. The company doesn't get your email address. They get your shipping address. They get your credit card information, but they don't get anything else. And I find that really practical. However... Sometimes you want the company to have your email address so you can hear from them later. So it's not there's there's a sort of a a middle ground that you should be able to what these companies should do is do a sign in with Apple thing, which they can do on the web. So you're signing in and your address is obfuscated using the hide my email system, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, and still be able to do Apple Pay and have an account. It's a little bit it's a little bit confusing to separate out the account creation on a website from the payment process. Well, as for me, I'm still not using Apple Pay, but hey, maybe by the time we get to our eight years, maybe I'll be using Apple Pay by then. Why not? Do you not trust it? Oh, I I don't know. I I guess I don't really have like a great reason other than just I haven't taken the time to set it up. Okay. Well, maybe by next year you will have done that. Okay. So my next one, let's see. I wanted to mention that I'm using a lot more one-time passcodes for two-factor authentication. Um, We've talked a lot of times in the past about how SMS is not the best way to do two-factor authentication, but if that's the only option they give you, it's better than not using it at all. Password managers give you the option to do one-time passwords for two-factor authentication, which is a much nicer system because you no longer have to rely on the insecure SMS system, you know, in order to get these uh, second factor codes to log into websites. So as long as you have access to that password manager, you can easily log into websites and it's a more secure way of doing a second factor than SMS. So I'm very happy to see that a lot more apps and sites and services are are giving that one-time password option for a second factor. Yeah, and I can do this on my Apple Watch using 1Password where I store the information for the one-time password codes and I press the button to open 1Password on my watch. I get the code, I type it in. It's going to be even better with macOS Monterey and iOS iPadOS 15 because this will be built into Apple's iCloud keychain password, whatever they're going to call it now. They're kind of upgrading the whole keychain system to include one-time password things to allow you to import and export password information. So we'll be definitely talking about that in the next couple of weeks. Yes, I think they're renaming it from iCloud Keychain to iCloud Passwords. Right. And they've released a Windows version of it, including a plugin for Microsoft Edge. So which means that people who store their passwords with iCloud will be able to access them on Windows, which is kind of important, I think. Yeah, actually, I really like that. I think this is a brilliant move on Apple's part. I'm surprised they didn't do it sooner, but I'm very happy to see them going that direction. 
Okay, so the last one I've got on my list is that I'm keeping hard drives longer because they're more reliable. And I think I've mentioned a couple times in the show, historically, I would replace hard drives every three years or so. Not that they're going to go bad after three years, but the, the reliability really drops after three years. But that's no longer the case. Hard drive reliability has gotten a lot better. And I recently bought two new Lossy D2 desktop drives to replace a media drive and a media backup drive. And these drives are guaranteed five years with data recovery services. Now, the drives inside the units are enterprise class NAS drives. So the previous ones I had were cheaper hard drives. But when you buy them, it's funny, when you buy a hard drive on its own, it costs more than the hard drive in an enclosure from a company. So these were affordable, they're very quiet, no fans, and they're guaranteed for five years. So that means that I'll probably keep them for five years before replacing them. And of course, the reason I'm talking about hard drives is for backups. So I have lots of data to store and lots of data to back up, and I do multiple backups. And so I need to make sure that I've got hard drives that are reliable and that are going to last to make sure my data is safe. Gotcha. Okay. And my last one is that I've started using encrypted messaging more. In particular, Signal. There's there's lots of different encrypted messaging platforms out there. Threema is another one that maybe not as popular as it could be, mostly because they charge for the app, which is different from a lot of the the free encrypted messaging uh, platforms that are out there. But Signal has seemed to really stand the test of time. And I've seen that a lot more people are using it recently. Every time that I open up the Signal app to send a private message to somebody, it gives me a little alert to let me know, oh, hey, another friend of yours has joined Signal. You know, it knows who are in my contact text list. And so it gives me uh, an update and, and tells me, oh, hey, that, that person's phone number is now also a Signal user. So you can message them privately through Signal as well. Wait, you gave them your contacts list? I did. I know. I know. It's crazy. I, I normally don't do that. But for Signal, I thought it was worth it because I do want to know who I can send messages securely with. Well, Apple's messages is secure. Sure. If you trust Apple, <laughs> okay, which I do mostly, ah, I do so mostly. You don't trust Apple. For the most part, um, you know, I I generally don't mind having just about any kind of conversation over iMessage. But if there's something really sensitive that I want to talk about, or like a password I want to share, I'd really rather use something like Signal for that, just in case. Okay. Fair point. You're paranoid. <laughs> Just a little bit. All right. Well, that's enough for this week. If any of our listeners have made any changes in security and privacy in the past few years, drop us a line at podcast at intigo.com. We'd love to hear what you've done. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>